If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to look at the book of Exodus chapter 4, verse 2 this morning as we continue our series All In. It's a series we were uh, doing before revival and I'm uh, going to continue doing it one more week after today. And so um, uh, this week, if you're reading the book, and read the, the finish the book up. Whatever you're at the book, go ahead and finish it up. I'm going to finish the book this week. I'll preach on it one more um, Sunday, and then we'll probably go a different direction. But uh, this last week, and uh, revival, uh, Brother Rob talked to us about several things. He talked last Sunday morning about uh, being the church that makes a difference. And uh, that's the kind of church we want to be a part of, right? The kind of church that makes a difference. Sunday night talked about a person that makes a difference. Uh, Monday night talked about the sin that keeps us from that, that there's something in our life that keeps us. We need to be willing to get that right as quickly uh, as we possibly can. And Tuesday night, he talked about Luke 9, 23, and uh, in that message we saw that it costs us something to go all in, doesn't it? If we're going to be a church that makes a difference, we're going to be people that make a difference, and it's going to cost us something to follow Jesus. And then, of course, Wednesday night, he talked about come before winter. Do it now. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Don't wait till another day. If you know something God wants you to do, go all in. This is the right day to do that. And so today I want to talk to us uh, from the book of uh, Exodus chapter 4, a guy named Moses. We're going to look at Moses, how he went all in, and, and how God used a very ordinary person and uh, used him in a great way and uh, to influence people around him to bring a lot of people to a knowledge of the true and living God. And hopefully that's our heart today, right? So let's say, now, by the way, Robert's uh, song is going to go right along with the message today. Isn't that, it just so happens that it worked out perfectly for, uh, for today. Look at Exodus chapter 4, uh, verse 2. Those of you who are joining us by Facebook Live, welcome. Glad to have you this morning. Those of you who are visiting with us today, regular folks, we're just so glad you're here. We really believe God wants to say something to us today. So listen again. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. So the Lord said to him, to Moses, uh, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. It's a shepherd's staff is what he's talking about. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, a snake. And Moses fled from it. And all God's people said, <laughs> can I get a witness? <laughs> As they turned into a snake, uh, boys, heels and elbows, right? <laughs> I love what D.C. said one time. We were talking about a fella got bit by a snake twice. And uh, D.C. said, I might get bit by a snake twice, but it won't be in the same tracks. <laughs> Amen. We're moving on, ain't we, D.C.? <laughs> All right. All right. So we have a snake. And uh, the Lord said to Moses, reach out and take it by the tail. And Moses said, excuse me? <laughs> that part's not in the Bible, but don't you know he probably said that, right? Excuse me? <laughs> and he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod or the shepherd's staff in his hand again. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Sometimes going all in doesn't seem like it makes that big of a difference. Sometimes when you go all in, you don't really see the results, the consequences immediately. Mark Batterson tells a story in chapter 13 of All In of a missionary couple named David and Sevilla Flood. They went to, um, it's called the Belgian Congo in those days, uh, 1921, uh, to serve as missionaries there. They went to a mission station. They got a heart for the people of the more in the interior, more separated from the mission station. And so uh, they, and, uh, they were from Sweden. They and another couple from Sweden called the Ericsons. They went uh, out to this remote village to try to share the gospel. And they were not well received. 
the chief rebuffed them. He was afraid. They had their own local gods they served and worshipped. He was afraid that they brought another god in. It would offend the local gods. It would cost them agriculturally and the rain and those kinds of things. And so they were not open to it at all. Um, the only thing they allowed, they allowed one uh, young man, about you know six, seven, eight years old, to come bring them some eggs and chickens and things like that. And so a severe flood, four foot, all four foot, eight inches of her, I decided if this was the only person she could talk to, she would do her very, very best uh, to win this young man to the Lord and disciple him, and she did. She won one person to Christ, uh, discipled him, and they weren't there really long before malaria hit uh, both couples pretty hard. Sevilla became pregnant, gave birth uh, to a young lady named, uh, they called her Aine, A-I-N-E, however you pronounce that in Sweden, Aine or something like that. After about 17 days, uh, Sevilla uh, passed away because of weakness and things like that. Uh, her husband, David, just, it just hit him. And he had sacrificed so much to come here. Uh, it wasn't paying off. He couldn't see any, any fruit from his labor. Now his wife died. He had this little 17-year-old girl that he couldn't take care of. He gave her to the Ericsons and said, God has ruined my life. And he went home. It wasn't just for just not many days after that that the Ericsons had a strange disease as well, and they both died. Some American missionaries adopted Aini, and they changed her name to Agnes, called her Aggie, moved back to South Dakota where they decided to stay. They decided they were afraid because of the situation with the adoption. They went back to Africa. They could lose their little girl, and so they stayed in South Dakota uh, as a pastor. She was raised in a pastor's home, uh, grew up, went to a Bible college, married a pastor, and uh, had a very, very fruitful ministry. Her husband went on to become president of a Bible college. And one day she received a magazine in the mail. She doesn't know where it came from. But it was in Swedish. There's a picture in the magazine of a white cross with the name Sevilla Flood on it. She could not believe it. She knew that was her mom. Couldn't believe it. She went to, to, to the college where there was a, a fair amount of Scandinavian heritage there and asked the people to try to uh, translate that for them. And, and what had happened was that one young man that Sevilla led to Christ, the chief eventually gave him the, uh, the ability or the permission to build a school. And uh, he built a school in his village, uh, led almost all of his students to Christ. His students led their, their parents to Christ. The chief eventually came to Christ. And as of that riding, there were 600 followers of Jesus in that one village. Sevilla decided that she would do whatever she could to try to find her dad, David Flood. And through the, the, the magazine and different contacts she had, she was actually able to do that. She uh, found out that she, uh, he had remarried, had some other children, become an alcoholic, and at the age of 73 was dying. She met her half-brothers and sisters, talked to them about her dad, and uh, they said, yeah, you're welcome to go see him, but whatever you do, don't say the name God in his presence. And when she went in, he found, and she told him who she was. Of course, he burst into tears and apologized for giving her away, didn't know what else to do. And she said, it's okay, Daddy, God had a plan. And he said, no, God ruined our lives. And she said, but Daddy, you don't understand. She said, that one young man that mom led to Christ and discipled and prayed over and, and shared Bible stories with and trained that young man, she said, Daddy, he went back and won others. She said, she said, Daddy, there are 600 followers of Jesus 
in that village now. And over the course of that afternoon, uh, uh, Aggie was able to lead her dad back into a meaningful relationship with Christ. Years later, Aggie was at a conference, World Pentecostal Evangelism Conference, and she heard a, young, a, a grown man tell the story of how God did a great work in the Belgian Congo at that time. And afterwards, she went up and met him and, she, and, and, and talked to him. And, and, and according to the magazine article, it was that young man. And he said, you know, I've always wondered what happened to that little girl of David Sevilla's flood. And, uh, and Aggie said, it's me. And she, they, of course, they hugged, they rejoiced and all of that. And this is what she said. He said to her, on behalf of the hundreds of churches and hundreds of thousands of believers in Zaire, which is what the Belgian Congo is now, thank you. Amen, Robert? <laughs> thank you for letting your mother die so that many of us could live. Now, obviously, Aggie wasn't the one who let her mother die, but with a thank you, really, we needed to go to David and Sylvia Flood, right? Thank you for spending your life here because others came to Christ. And the point I want to make out of that story is this. Sometimes going all in for Jesus doesn't feel like it matters a whole lot. And that's what happened to, Mo to Moses. Going, going all in for Jesus for Moses didn't feel like or look like he thought it would feel like or look like. At the age of 40, Moses, as an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, felt well qualified to help God's people. He was one of God's people. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter as a, as a little boy. You remember the story being put in the, in the Nile River and all of those kinds of things. And the, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. And one day he went out and he was looking around. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. The Hebrews were enslaved by the Egyptian. Moses is a Hebrew by birth. He's being raised like an Egyptian by Pharaoh's daughter. And he sees this going on, and he comes to the rescue, and he looks this way and that, looks all around, didn't see anybody, and he kills the Egyptian. He's trying to help God's people. But uh, how many of you know if you look this way and that, but you fail to look up, you don't look the most important direction, right? And God saw, and it was revealed that Moses had, uh, had actually been busted. He, he left town, afraid he was going to be uh, executed for what he did. So he runs away, and he spends, uh, gets married, spends 40 years uh, watching uh, his father-in-law's sheep. Probably not on his list of life goals as a 25-year-old, right? Being a shepherd for your father-in-law. And what happens to Moses is well, after, after all those years, 14, uh, 40 years, um, as a matter of fact, uh, Mark Batterson said uh, after 40 years, that means about 14,600 days that Moses spent out there low on the backside of the desert looking at the backside of sheep. <laughs> and all of a sudden, very surprising move, God shows up one day. And God calls Moses and sends him back to his people. It's very surprising. You wouldn't expect that, the burning bush episode. And it's surprising that God calls him. And it's surprising that at 80 years old, Moses is back there, 80 years old, that God still has a plan and that plan still matters. And listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're 80 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 18 years old. It doesn't matter if you've made a mess of your life. It doesn't matter if you've never come to Christ. It doesn't matter if you've backslid on Jesus. God has something for you. Everybody say, for me. For me. Yeah, God has something for you. You may not see it this way. You may not ever see it. You may not ever recognize the fruit of your life. You may not ever recognize what God's going to do. But if you'll go all in, as best you know how, 
You give your all to Jesus best you know how. It may be somebody in your family that's tremendously impacted. Maybe a friend. Maybe somebody somewhere else. You, you just don't know. But here's the thing. I do know that if I don't go all in, I'm going to short circuit God's influence in and through my life. Right? And so going all in is your best idea. So the idea of what Moses says, what we want to look at this morning is Moses tells God, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't? What if it's not worth it? And uh, because here's the thing: when God tells him to go back to, to Egypt, it's going to be hard. It's going to cost him something. It's going to be difficult. He's going to offend some people. It's going to be it's going to be difficult. How many of you know following Jesus uh, was an incredible thing that Rob preached on this um, Tuesday night, Luke nine twenty three? Following Jesus is sometimes hard. Taking up a cross. There are no padded crosses. There are no comfort fit crosses. Taking up a cross is hard. You have to decide not, is Jesus going to give me a better life, but is Christ worth it? I saw a guy named Duncan. Uh, you can put this picture up if you want to. Duncan says, being a pastor is not stressful. Duncan, age 22. <laughs> About like you being a youth pastor, isn't it? <laughs> Lucille Ball said, the secret of staying young is to live honestly, eat slowly, and lie about your age. <laughs> so let's talk about this some more. What about when it doesn't seem like it's working? When you go all in and, and, and it, your life doesn't get better, you know, it doesn't seem like things are going all that great for you. I want to talk about three things about uh, actions or attitudes we need to have when we go all in. And it doesn't look like it's having that big of an effect. Number one, remember to offer what you have to God. Remember to offer what you have uh, to God. Whatever you have, and we all have something to take and offer that to Jesus. As a matter of fact, whatever we have doesn't really belong to us anyway, does it? Everything we have is a gift of God, and so we should. It's right. It's the right thing to do is to offer it to God. Now, when Moses killed the Egyptian, he was going all in, but he was misguided in going all in. He didn't do it the right way. He didn't do it God's way. And when we offer what we have to God, what we're saying is God... I want to use what I have, what you've given me, what you've gifted me, your way. I want it to be used for your glory, for your direction, for your honor, to help people come and know you better. Mark Batterson said it this way, the prince of Egypt had all the potential in the world at 40, but he felt like a lost cause at 80. And the interesting thing about that was, so, so, you know, at 40, he's on top of the world. He thinks he can do this thing. It blows up on him. Feels like a lost cause at 80. But how many of you know, when Moses thought he was qualified, he wasn't. And when he thought he wasn't qualified, he was. And that's true of me and you. If we think we're qualified to do something big for Jesus, we're not. Well, we're qualified, you know, Christ saves us, puts the Holy Spirit in us, puts a call on our life, shows us some things to do. And what we do is we depend on God and we obey God and we let God do what God wants to do. So after 14,600 days, Batterson says 21 million minutes, <laughs> Moses decides to go back all in again. Two surprising things about this. 80 years old, washed up, backside of nowhere, God still has a purpose for Moses, and it's surprising what a big purpose it actually is. You may have felt like God leading you in a particular direction in a revival. Maybe to be a bigger part of a church that's making a difference. 
Uh, maybe dealing with a sin that's keeping you. Maybe being more faithful to something God's called you to do. Maybe you feel like God is, is leading you to do something now and it's, it's easy to, to procrastinate, uh, to serve Jesus by serving his church. Whatever it is, and you, and you feel like you don't have that much to offer. You feel like, is it really going to work? Is it really going to make a difference? Here's the thing, guys. Go all in with Jesus and find out. Never going to find out until you say, yes, God, I want to take what I have, what you've gifted me, and I want to offer it back to you. Moses makes five excuses. I'm not going to go through all of them. Just real quick, his first excuse is, who am I? Who am, who am I? How many of you know God uses us not because of us, but in spite of us? <laughs> right? It doesn't matter if you think you're the most talented, most, uh, the smartest, most gifted, uh, richest person around. Uh, you know, you don't have anything to offer God but what God's given you. God doesn't use you because you're good or talented or whatever. God uses you because he has amazing grace and he chooses to when we offer what we have. Second thing Moses says, though, is uh, what if it doesn't work? What if they don't believe me? Look at Exodus 4, 2 again. So the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Set in your hand, Moses, like a shepherd's staff. Now, what's he saying? What do you have, Moses? Now, remember, he's sending him to the most powerful person in the world to tell him to set free a free labor source. It's going to cost him a bunch of money. In other words, he's telling, he's going to send him to Pharaoh and say, I want you to do something that you really don't want to do. But, Moses, you've got a shepherd's staff in your What good is that, <laughs> right? <laughs> what? Well, that's not going to help any. And God tells him what? Throw it down. He throws it down, and it becomes a snake. Tells him to grab it by the tail, and it becomes a shepherd's staff again. See, here's what I'm saying. The key is not in what you have. The key is who you give it to. It's not how talented you are. It's not how smart you are. It's not how influential you are. It's who you give it to when you give it to Christ who knows what's going to happen when you give it to him. The first thing that happened when Moses went down there is his own people got mad at him. It didn't go well to start with. You can't look and say, I've had people tell me, well, you know, I invited somebody to church or I tried to tell somebody about Christ and they didn't want to come and they were kind of ugly to me and so I'm not going to do that anymore. It didn't work well. God's responsible for outcomes. We're responsible for it, but you never know what's going to happen in years to come. But you're not called to be successful. You're called to be obedient. So I like what one person said. They said something about the, the outcome. We're, we're called to obey. God's called to outcomes. And watch this. When we, obey, when we obey, we will come out closer to God. That's what we're after a success story. We're after obedience that will glorify God. So what's in your hand? What do you, listen to me this morning, what do you have to offer God? You have a lot. You have a voice. You can speak. You can say things. Some of you can sing. But you can say things to people like, I love you. I care about you. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Love for you to come to church with me. You've got money that can really, really bless somebody. You've got some skills that you can use for Jesus. You've got love in your heart that you can give away. You've got some kindness in your heart that you can offer to God and say, God, I want to be kind to somebody, and God will show you something. You've got some influence. You've got some knowledge you can use. You've got time, which is one of your most valuable possessions. You've got a future. Some of you are in college, and you're choosing, you're choosing careers, and you're thinking about jobs. Offer it to Jesus. 
Lord, what do you want me to do? And here's something I want you to get. Who you are is more important to God than what you do. Your major is not important. It's important, but it's not as important as the kind of person you are. You've got a phone, right? <laughs> you use that phone for offer your phone to Jesus, offer your social media, offer your imagination. You never know. You had an imagination. You got a thought. You got something you think might be kind of cool. One of our church members had this this last week, and they came on Tuesday night and they prayed over the sanctuary, and they took some verses from our mission statement. Put them on little slips of paper, cut them up. And some of y'all who were here too, so I remember, there was these little slips of paper all over the church. And everybody sat down, you had a little slip of paper right where you sat at. They offered their imagination to God. What they didn't know was the impact that was going to have. Tuesday, a Monday night when Rob left here, he said, I think I'm going to preach on 1 John tomorrow night. And I said, well, that sounds good. And he, and he said, do you think, and he shared a little bit about the message. He said, do you think that will be something that would speak well to Hope Well? I was like, well, I, yeah, if it's from God's Word, it will. But, I mean, that's between you and the Holy Spirit, you know. I mean, I really like, you know, you just pray. I'm not going to try to get in between you and the Holy Spirit on that. And so um, Tuesday night he was driving down. And he was talking to his wife, and he said, I thought I was going to preach on 1 John 5, but I, I'm not. I'm not. I really feel like God wants me to preach on Luke 9.23. He didn't tell anybody but his wife. Walked in Tuesday night, set his Bible right there where Laura's sitting, and there's a verse. Anybody want to guess what verse was there? That'd be Luke 9.23. <laughs> Out of all the verses in the Bible, that's the verse that was there. Now, that uh, not only is cool, that tells something to us that that message Tuesday night, something God wanted Hopewell to hear. If you've not heard that message, I'd go back and watch it on Facebook Live and think about it in the coming days. Following Jesus is going to cost us something. It's going to be hard, but it's worth it because it helps somebody else. So here's your weekly growth suggestion this week. Offer something you have to God for Him to use for His glory and the good of other people. Offer of something you have to God. Ask God, God, what is it that I'm, maybe there's something you're holding back. It might be a sin. It might be a relationship. It might be your future. It might be your career. It might be your family. It might be your time. It might be your church involvement. Offer something and say, Lord, uh, here's what I have to lay down at your feet for you to use. Second thing I want you to see is optimism. See, we come to God and we lay these things down. We offer it to God, but we offer it in faith, I use the word optimism. One reason it starts with an O, right? The second reason is because we want to expect God to use it. We want to expect God to do something good with it. And so we offer it in joy and faith and, and, and believing that the God who loves you knows better to do with what you have in your hand than you do yourself. You see, the cross tells you that God said you're worth dying for. Now, you are not worthy, and I am not worthy of Jesus' death. If I went to God and said, I really think Jesus should die for me, I'm really pretty special, you know. I'm not worthy of that. But God said, you're worth it. See, see there's things in your house that are not worth a whole lot to anybody else, but they're worth a lot to you. Maybe a letter from your grandparents. Maybe a gun from your grandfather. It may be a watch or a piece of jewelry from your mom or something like that. And somebody else may not give $10 for it, but you wouldn't give $1,000 for it. Wow. It's worth it to you. God said that you were worth it to him. You were worth his son dying for. So let's flip it. Is God 
worth you dying for. See, that's the message from Tuesday night. I think it's important. And, you know, if somebody walked in here with a gun today, who knows what we would say if he said, you know, will you deny Jesus or be shot? But here's the thing that's more important than that for us today. When I say, is God worth us dying for, I mean denying ourselves and taking up our cross. You see, dying means death to self. Denying yourself means a death to self. So is Christ worth me offering what I have to him, offering what I have for him to you? Sometimes, now watch this, sometimes some things I've offered to God, he's done exactly what I wanted him to do with it. Amen. Sometimes he's just, it's just been fantastic. Other times it's been a little bit harder. But the appropriate response when God calls us to something hard is what? Jesus, you died for me. And you want me to offer what I have to you. And when I look at the people in the Bible that offer what they had to you, what happened? You did more with that stuff than they could ever do on their own. I read about something, a social trend in America today that supposedly, well, I'd not heard of it till I read it in a Christian magazine this week, but it's supposedly something that's kind of happening in our culture. It's called quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. And I don't know, and the author of the magazine said he didn't really know if it's any bigger than, than it's ever been, but quiet quitting is people at their jobs doing the bare minimum possible. I'm not going to quit and leaves my paycheck, but I'm going to quit in my heart. <laughs> and I'm going to do the bare minimum, the bare little bit I can do and still keep my job and still keep uh, my paycheck coming in. And he made the point, you know, who knows if that's any bigger today. It's probably a lot of people always done that. Who knows? But he said, there's a tendency for that to happen in church. It's quiet quit. I'm going to come but I'm not going to get involved. I'm going to come, but I'm not really going to try to grow. I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to invite anybody else. I'm just going to do the bare minimum possible to just kind of be a church member. And the guy that wrote the article, which is, uh, I mean, you know, that's not the heart I want to have toward the Lord who gave his life for me, right? And the guy who wrote the articles, the guy somewhere around my age, and was talking to a young guy, like 19, 20 years old, and this young guy, had, he grew up in this, since he's become a Christian, he grew up in this culture that we're in today. Uh, just fussing, social media, divisions, all this kind of stuff. And it's very tempting for this young man to, to want to quiet quit church. But he said, he told, he, he, he told the author, he said, I'm enrolled in mechanic school. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a mechanic. And he asked you why. He said, because my grandfather was. And my grandfather was one of the best mechanics in our town. And he said he tried his best to help people have cars that run and to tell them about Christ. And he said, my grandfather visited prisons, homeless shelters. And my grandfather uh, made it a point to try to tell people about Jesus that, that nobody else would and visit people uh, that needed Christ that, that nobody else would. And he said, I want to be like my grandfather. See, you never know what that one act of obedience is going to mean to somebody else. But all the culture and everything that goes around, this 19-year-old young man says what? I want to make a difference for Jesus. Why? I saw my grandfather do it. And who knows what God can do with one act 
of obedience, which leads me to my last point, and that is outcomes. That is outcomes. Remember, we're responsible for obedience. God is responsible for outcomes. All Moses can do is throw down the rod. Only God can turn it into a snake. Only Moses can go and share what God told him to share. He can't make people do what he's asking them to do. He can't make Pharaoh let his people go. He can't make the, the people of, of Israel to, to, to follow him when Pharaoh does let him go. All he can do is say it. You see, all you can do is tell people what Jesus means to you. All you can do is pray. I mean, you can do some things. You can, you can love. You can give. You can share. You can do a lot of things. You can't make anybody follow Jesus. If we could have, this place would have been full during revival, right? <laughs> if you could have, this place would be full today. If you could have, when I give the invitation, all your friends and family would come running down the aisle and get saved. If you could, I would. You know, we'd make them if we could. We can't make them. Nobody could make you. Nobody could make me. And so we say, God, you're responsible for outcomes, but Lord, we want to obey and make that outcome as likely as we possibly can. And who knows what God will do with that. I love one guy says, he said, if I didn't take the credit for what God does, I don't have to take the blame. <laughs> Let me tell you one of the stories we get ready to close this morning. I read the story, testimony of a lady named Kaylee Perrin. Kaylee was born in 1989. And um, she was born to a very dysfunctional home, alcohol, drug abuse, all that kind of stuff. And her mom, uh, just a lot of living boyfriends, that kind of thing. And Kaylee's growing up as a young teenager, she said, I'll never get involved in something like that. I'll never get involved in drugs and alcohol. I see the trage tragedy it is. I see how we live. We're constantly moving. We're never settled. We've always got to make new friends. And yet, in her mid-teen years, Kaylee took a drink of alcohol, was instantly addicted. It wasn't long she was doing cocaine, meth, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, you know the story's almost like a script, right? She moves in with her boyfriend, a trailer filled with cockroaches and mice. Her mom decided to get sober. She started going to a 12-step program. She decides to get sober. And, and one day she calls Kaylee over, and she insists that Kaylee takes a pregnancy test. And she was pregnant. She didn't know what to do. Um, she didn't want to bring a child into the kind of situation she grew up in. Her boyfriend gave her the money for an abortion. Uh, she felt like it was probably the best thing she could do considering uh, what she had to offer a child. One day while her mom was at a 12-step thing, a lady came up to her, knew about, uh, about, her, about Kaylee being pregnant, and she gave her the um, address of a crisis pregnancy center. And she said, well, before she does anything, get her to go here. And so her mom told her, she said, Kaylee, I want you to go to this crisis pregnancy center. She thought it was an abortion clinic what she thought it was so she went and when she went to this crisis pregnancy center um, she met a lady there uh, that was so kind and so accepting told her about the stages of fetal development what was going on with her baby at that particular time in the development they took her to a, a sweet lady much like Jan Gager <laughs> Jan's giving me a big thumbs up I know she did an ultrasound, and when she saw the ultrasound and saw her baby moving, she knew she couldn't abort. She went home, and she told her boyfriend that she was not going to do that. She checked herself into rehab. The rehab people told her the damage has been done. It's too late. Your baby's already damaged. too late to get clean, but she got clean, 
And she had a healthy baby, eight-pound baby. She's clean. Um, not too long after uh, the baby's born, she, of course, she relapsed. And one night, in desperation, the floor of her trailer, with her Bible in her hand, she cried out to God. December 2010. I was lying on alone on the floor when I gave up, holding my Bible, crying out for forgiveness. God lifted the heavy weight of addiction off my shoulders. I entered the new year, set free, a new creature in Christ, and my life changed radically. You can see a picture of Kaylee right now. She said, I can never thank my pregnancy center sisters enough. They went far beyond giving me cartons of diapers and toilet papers, essential as that was. In the end, they showed me how to become a godly wife and mother. It's been a joy and a privilege to give my testimony at many pregnancy center banquets, on national speaking tours, and in churches. And she said, while caring for my children, I've continued to support crisis pregnancy centers where I've helped women struggling with unplanned pregnancies, abusive relationships, and addictions. My life may, watch this, last sentence, my, my life may have been messy, but now I'm a daughter of the king, clean and forgiven. See, guys, one of the things, if you ever talk to people that work in crisis pregnancy centers, one of the things they're going to say is what? It's so hard because we hardly ever see the Kayleys. We wonder if it's doing any good. The same people show up, and we wonder if anything's really, really working. But I'm here to say today, whatever you have, will you offer it to God, throw it at his feet, and say, God, would you use it for your glory to help me get closer to you and help somebody else get closer to you? Would you bow your heads, please, for a word of prayer? With your heads bowed and eyes closed as you pray this morning, stand, if you will, please. If you're able to stand, stand. Lisa's going to come to the piano. She's going to start playing uh, silently, softly uh, when she gets there. This morning as we, uh, on the heels of revival, sometimes people in town ask me, is revival over? And I always want to say, I sure hope not. On the heels of revival, is there something that, God wants you to offer to him. Maybe it's your love. <laughs> Maybe it's your availability. Maybe it's your family. Maybe you want to offer him your influence over your friends, your family. Maybe you want to offer to him your skill, your future. But just to be able to say, Lord, I don't know. Maybe you've made a huge mess. Maybe it's just a little frustration. But today has been about encouragement. God can do a lot with a little. Doesn't matter what you have. Matters who you give it to. Father, in Christ's name, I pray. Thanking you for what you're saying. Thanking you for what you're doing. Would you speak now during this time of commitment? Would you help us to draw close to you? Heads bowed and eyes closed.